The following episode of Conversations on Healthcare originally aired in May of 2021. We're speaking today with Dr. Elena Rios, president and CEO of the National Hispanic Medical Association, representing 50,000 Hispanic physicians in the United States. She is also president of the National Hispanic Health Foundation, seeking to improve the health of Hispanic populations in this country. Dr. Rios is an internist. She served as advisor for regional and minority women's health at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and she's a trustee of the New York Academy of Medicine. Dr. Rios, we welcome you to Conversations on Healthcare today. Thank you, honored to be here. That's great. And Dr. Rios, the Hispanic community has been hit especially hard by the pandemic, amplifying the depth of health inequity, long experienced by people of color in this country, I wonder if you could help our listeners understand the true impact that COVID-19 has had on the Hispanic community and put it into perspective for us. Well, I think overall, uh, you know, not every state collects data on Hispanics. That's the first problem. But overall, uh, Hispanics and and other vulnerable communities have really had, uh, you know, twice as many uh, deaths than the white population. And a a lot of that is because of the underlying conditions that Hispanics who are uh, mostly uh, lower income, working class uh, people uh, known as essential workers uh, in our uh, communities now have lots of underlying conditions like diabetes and obesity and heart disease and cancers and and uh, also are are living in multi-generational housing uh, Mm -hmm. with uh, in small business, working in small businesses or in the service industry or in the, you know, in the agriculture business or meat packing plants, et cetera, where they've lost jobs and uh, are, uh, are really feeling the, the impact, the economic impact of COVID-19, as well as the, the physical and emotional impact of this horrible pandemic. Well, Dr. Rios, I think one uh, piece of good news is that there seems to be adequate supply of vaccine out there now in most communities, but we still see vaccine hesitancy in many communities, and we see some of it in the Latino community as well. I know uh, the National Hispanic Medical Association, of which you've been such a leader, has launched the At Vaccinate for All campaign to address this issue. Tell us about this effort and what are the vaccine resistance challenges, uh, the key areas that you're seeking to address, educate or or help overcome? Yeah, well, I think uh, some of the important issues with vaccination is education and outreach. Mm -hmm. And uh, many people are afraid of government programs, just don't trust government programs. And we do know that the NIH and has worked with the pharma companies to to uh, produce this vaccinations that are very safe, very effective, but uh, many people just don't understand uh, that yet. And I think the other problem is that we do have people that are uh, again don't have the money to pay for vaccines and don't know that it's free. So and and that uh, for people that are undocumented, maybe or have undocumented people in their family may be afraid of, of uh, the privacy issues. 
Mm -hmm. not have, you know, making sure that that people know that the vaccine providers are not going to give away information to anybody like the INS or or any other authorities, and that it's it really is a, a, a private issue. So the National Hispanic Medical Association is proud to be able to uh, have a, a national campaign funded by CDC, and we call it Vaccinate for All, because we think everyone in the family should understand how important vaccinations are for everyone. Right now, we can get vaccinations to those who are 16, year, 16 years old and older, and we're hoping that by the end of the summer or, or thereabouts that we will have a vaccine for 12-year-olds to 15-year-olds. To and and um, so I can tell you that the most important part of our, our campaign is that we are encouraging health professionals and patients alike uh, to sign up and be a champion for Vaccinate for All, which means that if they come to our website, which is www.nhmamd.org and go to the Vaccinate for All page, they can sign up and uh, become a champion where they they can send information to their families and to their loved ones, uh, simple information in English and Spanish about how to get vaccinated and the importance of these key facts about vaccinations that they're safe, effective, and important to, to be able to have a vaccination uh, in one or two doses that will uh, be very effective in decreasing the impact of the disease of COVID-19 and that it's much better to get a vaccination than to end up in a hospital on a ventilator. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's our main yeah. message. Well, that, that is such a great program. And uh, you, know, you said the word earlier, that a key to having all this happening is developing trust. And, uh, you know, probably hasn't been a lot of trust happening with the Department of Homeland Security, but they recently stated that ICE and the Border Patrol will not conduct enforcement operations at or near vaccination sites. That must be so critical uh, to the work that the National Hispanic Medical Association is undertaking. Uh, and I'm wondering, is this fact getting out to the community? Uh, and, uh, and also just uh, talk to us about the negative impact of immigration policy has had on Hispanic health. Well, I, I, I think we all need to tell more people of the importance of this message uh, about uh, those who are getting the vaccine will not be fearful of having any kind of government uh, uh, ICE or, or INS be part of that, uh, the vaccination sites. Uh, so yes, it is very important that more people know about it. I think the, the, the most important problem for undocumented is that there are uh, very few uh, access to healthcare. Uh, one is through community health centers. Federal community health centers are supported to take care of anyone that walks in their doors. Uh, and the other is emergency rooms, but uh, and I should say doctors who have char- who are able to provide charity care, and we do see a lot of Hispanic doctors, uh, mm-hmm. especially in our uh, poorer communities, taking care of, of patients when they you know when they can. I do think that it's important to know that some places like California and New Jersey have changed state laws to allow funding 
from Medicaid of the, from the state portion to be able to take care of people that are not documented. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's the major problem is the lack of access uh, to resources uh, because, you know, and many can get some insurance from employers, uh, you know, while they, uh, uh, while, while employers are still able to provide uh, insurance. You know, Dr. Rios, I want to uh, thank you for the shout out to community health centers, obviously, uh, where uh, we do most of our work. Uh, but also, you know, Mark, I, uh, it never even occurs to me these days that people would think there's a cost for the vaccine. Right. Right. because there has been no cost associated. But you're, you're so right, uh, Dr. Rios, that that may be something I take for granted is absolutely known uh, among our uh, communities and may not be. So thank you for that reminder. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you uh, also um, about uh, Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, who I know was a keynote speaker at the recent annual meeting of your organization. Of course, she's the Biden administration's director of equity uh, through the pandemic uh, and beyond. Share some of her insights on, on how the president's policies uh, might have the potential to address some of these really entrenched health equity challenges that we've lived with for way too long and desperately need to do something about. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Nunez-Smith was great. And I think that she her big message was how important it was to be more inclusive and to listen to people in our communities that have suffered so long with health inequities because of their poverty levels, uh, lack of education, limited English, uh, just you know maternal mortality. There's, you can go on and on and on. And I mentioned earlier obesity and diabetes and heart disease. Uh, I, I would just say it's toxic stress in, uh, mm -hmm. in poor communities mm -hmm. that need to be addressed. And what Dr. Nunez-Smith did, she did a great job in discussing some of the key points are, that we now know as the American Rescue Plan mm -hmm. of President Biden in the White House. It's been, um, he actually addressed this last week with uh, uh, in the joint uh, congressional session. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this will be taking care of just basic necessities like more funding for food programs in our communities. Uh, the schools, having money to revamp schools so they can open, uh, college student loans, uh, rent for, for people and other housing programs. Uh, people are really desperate right now because they've lost so many jobs mm. and are un um, more unemployment until uh, the fall. And I think the one of the major issues that uh, I think we're really proud to see is that this administration is taking a, a, a real look at poverty yeah. and decreasing child poverty in half by the tax credits that they put into the American Rescue Plan. So yeah. the tax codes would be changed so that families would get tax credits for not only being married or having a family, but for each child. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's going to go a long way to help, uh, again, working families have a little bit more hope uh, with some money to pay their bills and buy food. We're speaking today with Dr. Elena Rios, uh, president and CEO of the National Hispanic Medical Association and president of the National Hispanic Health Foundation, seeking to improve the health of the Latino population in this country. Well, you know, I really want to pull the thread on, on uh, your shout out uh, to the Biden administration about the American Families Act and the American Rescue Plan. I'm just wondering, as you think about policy going forward, 
No plan is perfect, though this one does a really good job. You really talked about the, the guarantee for uh, really trying to cut child poverty in half throughout the, throughout the land, which is, which is so important to do. But what other additional reforms uh, are you and the uh, National Hispanic Medical Association advocating for, things that uh, people at state should keep their eye on, or, as well as the national level? Well, I think, again, with the stress that has been uh, developing even you know, at a higher level than ever because of the pandemic, I think we have to look at the importance of anxiety and mental health and all of the issues happening within families, uh, domestic violence, mm -hmm. you know, opioid abuse mm -hmm. was always there, but it's just exacerbated. Uh, the other issue is really the healthcare workers themselves. We really need more diversity within the medical profession, doctors, nurses, dentists, but we, more importantly, we need more community people to step up and be part, part of the messenger system and the you know, we've we've seen the Biden administration increase community health workers for uh, accessing health insurance through the Affordable Care Plan. I think we need more community health workers working within public health to be the the uh, trusted messengers for, you know, getting people to understand where they can go get a vaccine, helping them find appointments, I, the navigators, uh, if you will, within public health. And I also think that we're gonna see a lot more importance of public health mm -hmm. and building back the infrastructure of public health that was there in the 1950s when we had polio and uh, polio vaccines, you know, um, in the 1960s. And this, this uh, you know, we have so many problems in our communities. I mean, homelessness is another one that, that really is a public health issue when we think about getting prepared for the next pandemic. So I, these are just some of the things I could think of mm -hmm. that are really uh, across the board needed at the, at the state level and the national level. Yeah. Well, Dr. Rios, every one of those uh, that you mentioned is very important, but I wonder if we could um, just zero in for a moment more on your specific thoughts about how we reach into uh, the uh, Hispanic and Latino communities and uh, excite people, engage them in thinking about careers in the health professions um, and bring them in. And you've done a spectacular job uh, with physicians uh, within uh, your organization, within the, uh, the uh, uh, world of uh, physicians. But I'm wondering, you spoke about nurses and community health workers, the dentists, the therapists, um, the people are going to lead and run these operations. What are your thoughts about how we do that so that the individual who comes into any healthcare organization feels like, wow, this is, this is a place that reflects me as well as everybody else in the community? Well, it starts young. I think we need more uh, uh, awareness among young people, you know, in the K through 12 in our grammar schools and high schools about the important role uh, for jobs. Uh, the healthcare industry is the number one industry with jobs in this country. Right. And anywhere you go, you can get a job in the healthcare industry. You can move, to, you know, and find a hospital, a nursing home, a clinic. Uh, and I think that there are jobs that, that don't take that much time. <laughs> uh, not everybody can go to medical school and has that uh, stamina to stay there, uh, you know, for 10 years and go to school. But I do think uh, it has to start young. And the other thing is we really do need more role models uh, 
you know, the Hispan the National Hispanic Medical Association is made up of mainly the Hispanic doctors that are alumni of the United States medical schools. But unfortunately, only 5% of all the doctors in the country are Hispanic. So there's very few of us. And what we need is more doctors in our medical school alumni to go out and talk to community, uh, you know, PTAs, parents of grammar school kids, talk to the grammar school kids about what it takes to, you know, if you're very interested in science and math and critical thinking, there's no reason why you can't be supported to continue along that path. Right. Unfortunately, our, our, we don't have the, uh, the good counselors in the public school system to understand that they can make or break a student's uh, vision of themselves going to be uh, in healthcare if they don't support them in, in continuing to be good in math and science. And then in college, I think the same thing. We, we run a program called the College Health Scholars Program. And we've seen over 2,500 Hispanic students from Texas, California, the East Coast, just different places around the country. We're matching them with mentors who are Hispanic students that are in medical school, that are telling them, look, we made it, you can make it too. And I think, I think that's what's real important that we have mentoring because so many of our families do not have fathers or mothers that are health right. professionals. Mm -hmm. um, although they may go to a dentist or go to a doctor and see them, they don't, they, you know, they don't necessarily think that they can uh, get to that point. Well, that's just a wonderful roadmap for the future of individuals, but also for the future of the healthcare system uh, by providing that mentoring. I think it's fair to say that you are a futurist uh, for healthcare and the National Hispanic Medical Association, uh, as we talked about a little earlier, is involved in the All of Us Precision Medicine Initiative. As a federally qualified health center, we were one of the uh, vanguard of the, uh, uh, when Dr. Collins ran it, uh, started this program up. It's so important to have a program that uh, focuses on research that uh, looks like all of the country, not just a limited part of the country. I'm wondering if you could share with us your vision for this, uh, this wonderful effort by NIH and how it may lead to improved healthcare and healthcare outcomes in the Latino community. Yeah, the All of Us program was designed to follow a million people in, the, in America that live here uh, over 18 who can be followed for 10 years so that our researchers can, can learn more about how people live and, and how they face uh, different diseases as they, as they uh, age over 10 years. And I think it's so important that we have more Latinos sign up for the program. Uh, and there is a website that where you can sign up, but I think it's important that we have uh, participants who, who can provide knowledge for the next generation uh, about our communities. And we'll only learn about how Latinos face diabetes or heart disease mm -hmm. and the struggles they go through, but also the important uh, you know, tips and, and, and uh, how, they, how they respond to medications and therapy and exercise. And I think it's just so important that we get involved so that we can also uh, learn from each other and pass on the information to the next generation. Well, that's great. And I think I, we can say that they're still accepting people into that program. Yes. I think they're still recruiting. Yes. So not too late for people yes. uh, to participate and get their families involved as well. 
We've been speaking today with Dr. Elena Rios. She's the president and CEO of the National Hispanic Medical Association and president of the National Hispanic Health Foundation. Learn more about her work by going to nhmad.org or follow her on Twitter at Elena Rios, MD. Dr. Rios, we wanna thank you so much for your leadership, for all of your contributions to health equity and for joining us today on Conversations on Healthcare. Thank you, it was a pleasure. And thanks to our audience, as always, for being here. There's more online about conversations on healthcare, including a way to sign up for our email updates, the address, chcradio.com. What a great conversation we had uh, with Dr. Rios. Uh, and, you know, this month we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, and we have a lot of exciting things that are happening all across uh, the health system. Um, but today we're here with uh, Charles Barber, who is the author of Peace and Health. Many of you have uh, heard us talking about it. Hopefully you've uh, maybe purchased the book or uh, listened to the uh, audio um, or uh, downloaded the Kindle. Uh, shameless plug, you know us. Uh, but we're excited today to launch Pase Salud. And Charlie just finished uh, uh, taking a look at the book. Uh, we had it translated. We had really some great uh, contributors in terms of both the audio uh, and uh, the Kindle version and, and obviously the print version. So we're very excited that it's released today. Charlie, this is the first time one of your books maybe had uh, been translated into Spanish? Absolutely. It, it's wonderful just to see it. Posi Salud has a wonderful ring to it. And as an author, it's, it's just wonderful to see it translated. It is the first book that I've had translated. And from the beginning for the project, Mark, we were interested in getting it out to the people and access and telling the story to as many people as we can. And this is a huge step in that process. Good. And we want to give a, a shout out to Jerry Soto, who did the voiceover here. He's a WWE uh, broadcaster. Uh, so many of you have probably heard he brings great passion and energy uh, to the book. And, uh, you know, I think the question really f for us as an organization is, uh, why was this important? Um, and it really goes back uh, really in our history of how we've been infused uh, by the uh, staff and our communities uh, with Hispanic origin. Um, and, um, you know, I think about uh, one of the things that we've done, Charlie, over the years here um, is to recognize uh, our limitations in language. Certainly, I'll speak for myself, even though I should note uh, that on my wife's side, uh, part of her family, uh, her nieces and uh, her brothers are born and raised in Puerto Rico. So we have families in Orcovis and San Juan. Uh, but on my side, very limited ability to speak more than <laughs> barely be able to speak English. Uh, but it was really important uh, just thinking about my own grandparents who came here and really uh, lived here for a long time, but really never got uh, comfortable with the language. Uh, and we know this is true uh, within our own patient community. Um, and um, so we've really made a commitment to make sure that uh, as much as we can, uh, that we're able to speak fluently in both languages not only the people who answer the phones, uh, but also our clinicians and the like. Uh, it's a growing and vibrant population for us. We care for about 150,000 patients across uh, the state of Connecticut, 
about 30% of them would prefer us to speak in their native language. Um, and while it's a native language, there are lots of cultures, lots of communities within that. And so uh, we do our best to make sure that we're celebrating all those communities. Uh, but Charlie, you probably had experience uh, as well uh, with maybe the limitation, though I think I just heard you speak a little Spanish, maybe, you know, a, a little more than, than I can. Un poco. Um, <laughs> In El Vesado, uh, and I'll stop there, <laughs> I, I ran a healthcare facility of, of, for folks with psychiatric uh, disabilities in, in Washington Heights in, mm -hmm. in New York. And um, this was in the 90s, and half of the staff were from the neighborhood, and they spoke Spanish. They were from Dominican Republic. And same essential reason is why it was so important to us to have this translated. I wanted to connect with my staff, so I learned Spanish and was able, it probably in a fairly butchered way, you know, but after three, four, six months, I was able to run staff meetings in Spanish. And um, it was so powerful, honestly, to, to the staff. And um, so to me, this is sort of coming full circle. Um, to get the message out and um, and get the story out to as many people as we can, and to respect, uh, you know, as many cultures as we can. That's right. Uh, that's so important. And uh, you know, we hear it uh, so often with our staff who want to share uh, the experience of the health center, which they all helped build over the 51, almost 52 years that we've been around, uh, and being able to share uh, Pazi salute with a family member or the audio file uh, or the Kindle and really capture uh, the, the experience um, and, um, and hopefully help write that next chapter. Uh, and it's so important that we focus in on the Hispanic community as we do other communities, but the health disparities that exist uh, within uh, the community are things that we are working hard uh, to uh, address, ameliorate, and uh, our hope is that this continues to engage within the community. We have so much to learn. You know, uh, part of the work that we do is now framed up in what's called the Moses Weitzman Health System. And it's an umbrella for four organizations. One, the Community Health Center, which uh, many of you are familiar with. But we also are caring for about five million lives all across the country on an e-council program. And so many of those are in Texas in Southern California, where the predominant language, we're at 30%, where the predominant language uh, is uh, Spanish speaking. And so uh, the programs that we have, and I would also say our medical assistant training program in our Denver office, where we're really taking on that first generation uh, for, uh, of, uh, of folks who are entering the healthcare field, where they say to us, I'm the first person to get a, a certificate or degree in my family. Uh, and I, I would say probably the majority of the, of the graduates have been Hispanic women for the most case uh, all across the country. We're in 23 states doing that. And also Margaret Flinner, who co-pilots the health center uh, with me, has formed the uh, nurse practitioner residency training program. And they're an infusion of people from uh, all walks of life are there. So we're excited that we can tell the story uh, in multiple languages. And Charlie, just I want to thank you for the energy, the effort, the brilliance that you've put into this writing. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been wonderful to work with you too. Yeah, that's great.
Gracias por tu amistad. Pazi salud. Pazi salud. 50 years ago, a small band of idealists set out to change their community. Peace and health is the story of renegades, innovators, caregivers, and community leaders who discover that change is possible. This improbable journey is captured in compelling detail by author Charles Barber. Cornell professor Dr. Joseph J. Finns says it reads like a novel, but it's all true. Peace and Health, available now. This copyrighted program is produced by Conversations on Healthcare and cannot be reproduced or retransmitted in whole or in part without the express written consent from Community Health Center, Inc. The views expressed by guests are their own, and they do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Conversations on Healthcare or its affiliated entities.